With that, we're going to continue this morning, if you've not been with us. We're going through a study in the book of James. We've titled this study, Faith is a Verb, meaning that there is uh, there's some action involved. Faith isn't just a belief system, something we hold in our hearts. It is that, but it's more than that. If we really have faith, according to James, there will be some expression, some outworking of that faith in our interactions with others. Uh, last week, last Sunday, if you weren't here, you missed it. Uh, my young prodi- prodigies, is prodigies, is that right? Prodigy? Prodigy? Brogan and Tucker shared that they did their second study, second teaching in the book of James last week, chapter 4. Did a great job. Uh, Michael Jordan came up to me this week. He goes, man, I can't believe you, you gave the guys the hardest section in the whole book. I go, no, 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 they picked it. They chose that section. Killed it. In fact, here's your, uh, here's your quote of the week. When we read you adulterous people and think of it in the context of being the bride of Christ, it takes on a lot more meaning. Tucker Arnold. Bam, right there. Is that good or what? Man, these kids are good. Guys did a good job. Uh, so this morning we're continuing the last few verses. I get the easy section. They got the hard section. I get the easy section. Last few verses of chapter 4 deal with the will of God. So I want to uh, read those together if we can, and then we'll pray over them, and then we'll see if I can try to make some sense out of it. So this is James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. I'm reading from the NIV. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, isn't it, I love James, because he just scolds us. I would normally not say you ought to do this, but James just pulls it right out there. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So let's pray. Lord, would you uh, open our hearts to receive your word this morning, and would you really uh, help us to grow in understanding your will for our lives? In your name we pray. Amen. You might recall back in chapter 3, Uh, James drew a contrast for us uh, between two kinds of wisdom. He talked about God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, and then our wisdom, earthly wisdom. And so here, he's doing a very similar thing, uh, talking about God's will. He's basically saying, hey, there's there's God's will, and then there's our will. And uh, obviously, as we go on, and we'll see, and I think he makes it clear here, very often those are two different things. Uh, he says, you know, of our will, he, today or tomorrow, we'll go here or there, we'll spend some time, we'll make some money, we'll start a business. Uh, we sort of think that way. We very often, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but let's be honest, all of us, to some degree or another, we sort of live lives under ourselves. We sort of take it upon ourselves to, you know, decide what we're going to do and where we're going to go and how it's all going to work out, and then we set that direction and we run with that. James calls that both arrogant and evil. Um, Now, I want to interlude here, interject. I I do not believe James is opposed to planning, per se. I believe that planning is a very uh, biblical activity. Uh, Throughout Scripture, I think that's clear, especially in some of the wisdom literature. 
being a person who plans and looks ahead is, is honored. Uh, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed, Psalm 20. Uh, Proverbs, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. So James isn't necessarily saying that planning or having vision or, or having direction is bad. I think what he's saying is doing that unto ourselves without the Lord's uh, input in that uh, is less than adequate. I think all of us would agree that knowing God's will and following God's will is important, right? Would we all agree on that? Everybody? Knowing God's will, following God's will is important. Uh, for some of us, many of us here, especially in the vineyard and, and, and here at, at PVC, we actually, I, I pray for God's will every single day. Every single day. Many of you do too. You may not even realize that you do, but a prayer that we pray often is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, when, I, when I'm praying for someone to be healed, that's what I'm praying. Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will, your perfect will that one day will be complete and full, that that will would come forward into our lives today. When we pray for reconciliation of a relationship, when we pray for God, the needs of people in our community to be met, any situation that we're praying, we're asking God's kingdom to come and His perfect will that will one day be accomplished to come into the present today. That's what we're asking for. Uh, we're, we're asking God's will, His will, not our will, but His will to be done right now. As is the case in so many areas of life when we think about God's will, not only understanding that it might be different than our will, but then being able to really yield our will to God's will and obey it. Jesus is uh, our perfect example. Um, In the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before the cross, Jesus knew it was coming. Uh, And in his humanity, in his his own weakness, he says, Father, if you're willing, Father, if you're willing, take this from me. I'd rather not do this. But if you're willing, take it from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus fully understands that his will and God's will might be two different things and that he's willing to submit his life to God's will. God's will is foundational to participating in his purposes. There has been, at times, a sort of an understanding that it's kind of we get saved, we enter into relationship with Christ so that we can escape going to hell. That's the main purpose. But if you think about it, really, if that was the main purpose, wouldn't we just go to heaven immediately? we just become a Christian and then leave? Why, why would we still be here? Why would this world be going on? God has purposes that He wants to see accomplished. He's called us to participate in those things. And understanding His, His will and knowing what that is and moving forward in it, that's what advancing his kingdom is. It's, it's foundational to everything. It's foundational to all of God's purpose. The whole reason we're here is wrapped up in his will and what he wants done. You see, if he really is king, and, and it, we've talked about this before, we don't have a king in our country. We don't really know what it's like to live in a kingdom under the rulership of a king. We have a president... And we sort of have to follow the laws, generally speaking, but we really don't submit to the president's will. I was, I was driving the other day, I saw a guy, 
on a motorcycle and he had F. Obama on his helmet. And I just thought, well, okay, he can do that. But I also thought if he was in a kingdom, you can't ride around with that on your head in a kingdom because the king's guys will come and get you. You submit to the king's will. That's how it works. But we don't fully understand that here. But if you're in a kingdom and you have a king, you submit to the king's will. That's not an option. You give yourself over to it. And and so in order to do that, we have to know what his will is. I think we know God's will. We've talked about the general will of God and specific will of God. I think we understand God's will on some of the bigger issues in life. Right? There's, big, there's big things that we know this is God's will. Don't murder. Okay, we got that, right? You know, I'm so mad I could kill that guy. No, that wouldn't be good. That's not God's will. I know that. That's outside of God's will. But how many other things every day are not quite so clear? We, we make decisions all the time. Should I take this job or should I not take this job? Who should I marry? Some of these things have consequence behind them. That that is a decision that has a lifetime of consequence behind it. Do I marry this person or do I not marry this person? Should I move? Should I go to this place? Should I relocate my family? Should I go into ministry? Should I get involved in missions? There's a million things like that. It can be, for many people, I think, paralyzing. I've talked to people who, (coughs) because they're not sure what God's will is, They're afraid to do anything because it might not be God's will. And and it really can. It can be very paralyzing. The other thing is, like, I've talked to people on the other end of the spectrum. When do we we need to know God's will and when don't we need to know God's will? Do we have to ask for God's will on every decision we make? Should I wear uh, red underwear today or blue underwear today? You know, blue. Thank you. Shane knows. Okay. Okay. you know, spending money. Can I spend? Can I buy a new coffee maker? God, is that your will or not? I don't know. You know, is there a, is there a, a spending limit? If I'm under a certain amount, can I just make that decision unilaterally? If I go over amount, do I, you know, when do we ask God? How do we know? When do we know? Many of us probably have known someone at some point in our lives who believed they were doing God's will when in fact they really weren't. We uh, commemorated the occasion of 9-11 this week. I don't know if you, I'm sure you were aware of it. Um, Friday, I think, was 9-11. And we were reminded of people that flew airplanes into the World Trade Center saying, Allah Akbar, who believed with all their heart that they were doing God's will. I am certain they were not. That was not God's will. Now, that's a... Fairly dramatic example, but on a more mundane level, there are things all the time that happen. I, I knew a young couple a few years back who believed they were called into the mission field. They had three small children, which uh, does not in any way disqualify you from going into missions. I know many, many families with children that are involved in missions. Uh, but this particular couple was really unwilling to get any training, take any advice, take any counsel. Vineyard has developed just an, an incredible wealth of resource for people going into full-time cross-cultural ministry. And they weren't interested. They wouldn't talk to anybody. Uh, we tried to discourage them, and they just said, no, we're going to go. This is God's will. Uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to go do what we're going to do. And um, it really created a lot of tension, because then 
you know, you're, you're put in a position, do I support them or not support them? I'm not really sure that this is where they should be, but if I don't support them, then how, what does that say? So we tried our best to support them, but even throughout the process, they really weren't willing, they, they just were lone rangers kind of doing their own thing, weren't willing to take help from everybody. Uh, long story short, four years into this thing, they come home, their life is a wreck. Their marriage is a wreck, their kids are a wreck. And not only that, but here's the thing. They've left a trail of broken relationships behind them. The, f- the first rule of cross-cultural missions is do no harm. That's what, Do no harm. No matter what you do when you go, leave, don't leave things worse off than when you got there. That's exactly what they did. They, they left wreckage all over behind them because it was God's will. I don't think it was God's will that they went and did that. Sometimes... Christians will, will use God's will as an excuse for their own sin. Some of you might remember uh, the Lakeland Revival in Florida just a few years ago, mid-2000s. A guy named Todd Bentley led a revival in Florida, went on for a, a year or two. Uh, during the course of that revival, Todd Bentley had an affair with a young woman who was an intern for him. He then divorced his disabled wife and married the intern. And some people might question, how, how did that happen? Why was that allowed to happen? And the reason it was allowed to happen is because it was God's will. This is, uh, and those are his words, not mine. This is an actual uh, passage from Todd's autobiography, Journey into the Miraculous. He said, the Lord had actually shown me an open vision of Shauna. It was my first open-eye vision. I was in a living room, in my living room, and my fireplace opened up kind of like a TV screen. I saw us embracing in a wheat field that was ready for harvest. We were both weeping. I was wearing a tux, and she was wearing a wedding dress. As the vision unfolded, her friend Rosweta, who is now my friend, was talking with me in the living room about Shauna. I described the open, open vision to her as it happened. The presence of the Lord fell, and we both wept. Rosweta said, I can't see it, but I can feel goosebumps. During this vision, I also received an anointing of creativity, poetry, and writing. In fact, I even received a three-page prophetic poem that I read at our wedding. I still write prophetic poems for my wife to this very day. It's very touching. The problem with it is that he was already married to somebody else, and he'd already entered into a relationship with this woman. That's not God's will. There's another word for that. I won't say it. Its initials are BS. Um, look, I am not saying that God is not a gracious and forgiving God. I'm not saying that people don't mis- make mistakes. I'm not saying that we can't make a mess of our lives and be forgiven and restored. And I'm not saying that we can't even make a mess of our lives and be forgiven and restored back to a place of ministry again. What I am saying is... Don't have an affair with your intern and dump your wife and stand there and tell me it was God's will. Grow up, take responsibility, and call sin a sin. Don't blame God. That's what I'm saying. This is an important issue. I think you got that. It's an important issue. It's so important. This is, we're going to look at this today, and then I'm going to come back to it. We're going to finish the book of James uh, I think we have two or three weeks left in James, and then there's a little gap before we get into kind of the holiday season and some of the Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff. So I'm going to take those few weeks and just talk about God's will for our lives a little bit. But I want to 
<coughs> Continue this morning. James differentiates God's will and our will. He says they're two different things. And so I, I want us to focus in on that, and I want to read another passage dealing with God's will from Colossians. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this, For this reason, and the reason is this, I'll just tell you if you read back, a gentleman named Epaphras uh, had gone and shared his faith with some people at Colossae. They, they got saved. Uh, God was moving in their lives. They formed this church. He came back, told Paul what had happened. So Paul heard about what was happening in them. <coughs> so for this reason, since the day we heard about you, and that's what they heard, we have not stopped praying for you. And this is what he's praying. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul's excited. Paul's excited. He's heard about this new church. He's heard about the faith of these people. They've received Christ into their heart. They're growing in Him. And, and so he wants to make sure the next thing that happens is they begin to know God's will. Even as new Christians, it's important that you know God's will. And so what does he do? He says, I pray continually. I'm praying all the time. I'm not stopping praying that God would reveal his will to you, that he would make that known. Why is he praying for that to happen? Because he understands that only God can do that. The knowledge of God's will can only come from him. This is, it's a supernatural experience. We cannot fill ourselves with the knowledge of God's will. Now, we can fill ourselves with knowledge of God's word. All right? We can read God's Word, and we should. We can study it, and we should. And in a few weeks, we're going to look at the relationship between God's Word and God's will. But we can't fully know God's will just from His Word. In fact, sometimes we can know God's Word and not know His will at all because it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit. That's how we know God's will. It comes from Him all we can do is really put ourselves in a position to receive it from Him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. This is Paul's prayer. It's his continual prayer for them. Why is this so important to him? He tells us why. It's so that they'll live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's why Paul's praying that they'll know His will so that those things can happen. This is a... This is a there's an important distinction here I want to make. In fact, it's so important, I think we will break for Greek. Uh, we'll take a little break for Greek. Uh, the word worthy there, when he says, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord, uh, that word is axios in the Greek. It's the word in English, we get the word axiom or axiomatic from that. And, and what it means is... Uh, the same as. It means corresponding to. It fits in. He wants them to live a life that fits with God. That's what he's asking them to do. And that's important to understand for this reason. It's really, really an important distinction. Because what it does not mean is deserving. He says, 
I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord. He means I want you to live a life that fits in with the Lord, but it doesn't mean that you're deserving of that necessarily. There is sometimes this kind of payback version of the gospel out there. You might have heard somebody say, I've heard this many times, in light of all God's done for us, we have to do this. In in light of God's grace in my life, I have to do something back for him. It's sort of paybacks. Well, you know what they say about paybacks. You, You don't know? I'll tell you later. Sarah will tell you later. <clears throat> Let me say this. <clears throat> you, everybody that knows is telling somebody that doesn't know right now. I'm so bad. You cannot pay it back. That's the point. We cannot pay that back. There's no way we could ever be deserving of what God has done for us. Okay? Uh, how many of you remember uh, a little movie called Saving Private Ryan? Anybody remember that? A few of you do. A few years back. Great movie gory is all get out. I mean, it was one of the first movies where they did the special effects just showing bodies blown up everywhere. And I was like, I, I didn't know. I turned and I go, oh my, what in the world? But um, the story, of course, if you remember, Matt Damon plays Private Ryan and he's one of four brothers that are fighting in World War II, remember? And his three brothers were all killed. So someone in a, in a headquarters office somewhere in the military discovers this and so they send some guys and they think we... <coughs> We can't let all four of these boys die. Their mother will have no sons left. We need to get Private Ryan and bring him home. That's what we need to do. So they send this group of guys to find Private Ryan and save him and bring him out before he's killed. And so Tom Hanks is Captain John Miller. He's the leader of the platoon. The story, you know, the movie goes on. They're trying to find Private Ryan. And in the process, I don't remember, but four, five, six guys all die, all get killed trying to save one guy. And then they finally find him, and, and I don't know if this is just, it's, it's a powerful scene. They find Private Ryan, they're going to take him out. In the process, Tom Hanks, the captain, gets shot, and he's dying. He's breathing his last breath, and he grabs Private Ryan, he pulls him up to his face, and he says, earn this, earn it. And I'm thinking, what a curse. I mean, earn, seven guys just died to save you, buddy. Earn that, okay? I want you to live up to that. Uh, no, 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 no. That is not what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to live a life that corresponds to the life of Christ. Not earn it. Jesus never says earn this to us. It's a gift. It's free. It's already been given. It's, it's already been paid for. There are no paybacks. Jesus says, my grace, my forgiveness, my presence, my power, my authority, my will, all those things are free to you. I'll give all those to you. What you need to do, not earn it in any way, shape, or form, just receive it. Now, there is a catch. I'll tell you this. In order to receive something, sometimes, if, I, if I've got a lot of stuff, and, and sometimes, let's be honest, we have a lot of stuff, right? If I've, if I've got all my stuff and I'm over here with my stuff, and he says, hey, I have a present for you. What do I need to do to get the present? I need to put down some of my stuff. And sometimes we have our plans and our goals and our will and our thoughts, and in order to receive what God has, to be filled with the knowledge of His will, it might mean I need to be first emptied of the knowledge of my own will. If I do, 
it looks like this. I'll be bearing every good fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. Interesting, <coughs> interesting phrase Paul used. He's continually praying that they will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God so that they will be growing in the knowledge of God. That's an interesting thing. Because how can you be growing in something that you're already filled with? How can you be growing in something you're already filled with? So I guess the question is, do we, do we know everything we need to know about God? Do you have all the knowledge of God you need right now? And we're not talking about knowledge about God, we're actually talking about knowledge of God. Do you have all the knowledge of God you need? No, you don't. If, if God is God, right? We're not. If we had all of the knowledge of God, our heads would explode. <laughs> Boom! Uh, no, instead what happens is... We get, we, we're filled with the knowledge of God, but we just keep getting filter and filter. More, fi, more fill, filter. Filter. You can quote me on that. Filter. We get filter and filter. It's, it's, like, it's like the Holy Spirit, right? We get filled with the Holy Spirit, but is that it? Are we done? No. We, we get more filled. We get filled again. We get filled again. God's will, <coughs> God, knowledge of God is the same way. We get filled with it, but then we continue to get filled with it. It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's present tense. Uh, this is, we were talking about this the other night. A group of us went out to dinner. Uh, we, we're such geeks. We're total geeks. We are in McMenamins, eating hamburgers, drinking beer, talking about the importance of verb tense in scriptural interpretation. And for like an hour. Uh, I don't know. You didn't get invited. And then it got deeper after that because then we got into Revelation. You know, after two beers, you start talking about Revelation. Um, can I say this stuff in, in church? I don't know. This is, it was a great conversation. But we really, we were talking about the difference it makes in the verb tense. The verb tense here is it's not just filled once and done. It's ongoing. We're continually being filled with God's presence all the time. And we also know that the biblical understanding of knowing something is not just intellectual. It's not, it's not just head knowledge. It's experiential, right? We get that. You remember the, the old thing back in Genesis, you know, if you read King James, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain. Yes, he did. Uh, he knew her. And so what we can say is that to know God requires more than just our mind. It's an experiential reality. It's a reality of His presence filling our lives all the time. As we go deeper and deeper into His presence, we're filled more and more with the knowledge of His will, and His purposes for our life become clearer and clearer. And Paul says, in addition to that, we will have endurance, great endurance and patience. We mature in Christ. This is important. You have to remember the context. He's writing to Christians at a time in which uh, they were being burned at the stake or, or fed to the lions for their faith. So great endurance and patience were important things. Now admittedly, probably none of us will ever be burned at the stake or fed to the lions. But we have teenagers, right? I'm just saying great endurance and patience. Can I have an amen for that? And parents, okay. Uh, in addition to endurance and patience, we also have joyful thanksgiving. You know what happens when you get filled with God's will? Is you begin to see God all around you. And it's joyous. When we don't have His will in our lives, what do we see? 
We see circumstances. We see trials. We see what's going on in our day-to-day life. We have anxiety and concern. And all of a sudden, when you begin, and some of you know this, you've experienced this, you begin to get filled with God's presence, His will, and it changes everything. I love what Sarah shared this morning. She's looking for clarity. She's praying for clarity. It's not coming. It's not coming. God says, no, it's because you're looking for clarity, not looking for me. You look for me. You get filled with me. And guess what? All of a sudden, my will will become known to you. That's where it takes place. That's what it's really like. See, this is the total package. It's, it's a total, it's a complete turnaround in the course of our lives. This is what it looks like when we walk with wisdom in the purposes and in the will of God. That's what it looks like. So here's the point. This is, the, this is what everything today is about. Get this, because if you don't get this, you don't get it. Paul says, I haven't stopped praying that you'll know the will of God, so that all these things will happen, so that your life would be changed, your life would be transformed. That's what he wants us to know. See, the will of God, first and foremost, is not about what we do, it's about who we are. The will of God isn't about what decisions we make, it's about who we are. It's about who we are regardless of what decisions we make. Whether we choose right or choose wrong, the will of God is knowing that I'm God's child. I'm in His presence. He's with me. I'm filled with Him. And that's going to make it okay in the end. I'll be forgiven. I have the knowledge of that. It's His kingdom has come into my life. That's what God's will is. It's really not about what we do. It's about who we are. You've read this before. You know this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's what the guys were talking about last week. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind, and then what happens? You'll be able to know what God's will is. As we're transformed in the presence of God, His will becomes clear. We don't need to seek His will and ask Him for every decision we make. We we ask Him to fill us with His presence, and that becomes clear. Here's the question. question is, do you really want that? Do you really want that? Do you really want to be filled with and consumed by and defined by God's will? Do you want what you want, or do you want what God wants? That's the question. I'm going to just be really blunt. Most of us, most of the time, when we say we want God's will, what we really want is God's stamp of approval on our will. That's what we want. That's what we ask for. Is we want God to give us the green light to do what we want to do. That's what we, that's what we look for when we look for God's will. Very often we say, God, help me know your will. What we really are saying is this. Okay, God, look, I've, here's the deal. I've got two choices, choice A and choice B. Now, I've done quite a bit of homework for you. And so choice A is really the better choice. Although choice B has some merit. It's, you know, it, it, the pros and cons of both. I'm leaning towards A, but, you know, what I'd like to know is, is that okay? That's really how we approach knowing God's will in our life most of the time. The reality is this, we want to be in control. So the question is, do I really want God's will, or do I want God to approve of my will? Because most of the time, we want to be in control, and we want God to say it's okay for us to steer the ship. That's why James says, it's foolish 
You think today, tomorrow, we'll go do this or that. We'll carry on business. That's how most of us approach life. And then what happens? We do this. We hit a little snag in the road and we say, oh, God, a little help here. My plan isn't working out the way I thought it would. Sometimes, do you know Christians do ridiculous things? Did you know that? Sometimes Christians do ridiculous things. Look, just anybody remember this? That was a bumper sticker a few years back. Saying, God is my co-. You don't see that anymore. What happens is Christians are slow. They, they, they start something, and then they, two years later, they figure out that wasn't a very good idea, and they stop. So um, I'll be honest, it didn't take me very long to figure that out was not a good plan. The first time I saw that on somebody's car, the fir- I thought in my mind, I, I literally got out of the car, I walk, I see God is my co-pilot. My thought was, dude, you are so screwed. Um, I do not want God to be my co-pilot, okay? I want God in the driver's seat. I am in row 17, buckled in, seat back, upright, tray table folded, and I've got a crash helmet on, okay? God is in charge. I am not. I do not want God to be my co-pilot. Now, let me tell you, this is the human condition, okay? That's it. For the fall of man from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, and everybody since, we don't like to give up control. We want to, that's what we want. We want to be in control. I, I want my autonomy. I want my freedom. I want my rights. I want to be independent. I want to be in control. And I don't want to give up control to anybody, even God. That's how we view life most of the time. That's the human condition. I will tell you this, boys and girls. As long as I've offended everybody today, might as well just keep going. Um, This is universal. Everybody thinks that way. But I want to say this. In our country, in the United States, it's on steroids. That is our national religion. Our national religion is my freedom. We pledge allegiance to it. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Jesus says, if you want liberty, you've got to die. Oh, oh, the old self, the person who calls all the shots, the guy who wants to be in control, the master master of our own destiny, that guy has to die if I'm ever going to know what God's will is. If I want God's will, if I want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, do you know what? I have to first be emptied of my will. That's the only way it'll work. Not earning it not deserving of it, simply letting go of my will so that I can know his will. That's what this means. That's what this is about. This is, this is about, this is not, look at, this is not the, the, the freedom of speech. This is not freedom to vote. This is not freedom to bear arms. This is freedom to be fully alive. This, this, is, this is a freedom to know that I can lay down my rights. It doesn't matter because I'm dependent on him and who he is, not on who I am. Nobody else can do that for me. That's what Jesus says is free indeed. That's when you're really free. I'll tell you what, the rest of this, it's all an illusion. That's when you're really free. To know the will of God is to know, to be willing to submit my will to Him and say, yes, Lord, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. I'll lay down my will to receive that. And that's when I'm really free. I don't have to steer the ship. You're not the co-pilot. You're in charge. Okay, let's stand.